0: This morning I was um before I get into my message, which ties directly into it, I just uh not to embarrass our younger ones, but I looked over here and we had a row of four young boys and we had some young ladies over here and and uh it, it all of a sudden I had this imagery. Um, you know, lately some of you that are friends on Facebook, you see we've been building our our campfires, we've been letting the boys uh, start to build them and you know, one thing that I've I've taught the boys is you know you you have a hard time starting fire without something smaller to get it going. That kindling, something, something that may be dry and seem like it's useless and that you, you know, what can that do? But you, you start without that, and those other logs are, are not going to catch. But you get that small little bit in there. And you know, it's the other thing that's interesting that ties in our messages. The other thing is, is, you know, if a fire is still going strong and, and, you know, I've taught the boys you can't just leave it going and go in the house. You know, we rake back the leaves, we put the rocks around, all the things, that, you know, a, a good campfire builder should do for safety. But in the end, if it's still going strong, uh, your best way to extinguish that is to first spread those logs out, get them away from each other so they'll die out quicker. And is interesting that you get them close together and packed together and the, and the heat from each other will fuel that fire even more. And grow, and so we're talking about community and talking about a a group that gets together. And you know, um, with that last message being spread out for three weeks, I kind of got caught like probably any minister does with with just getting the job done. While I'm passionate about it, while it's impacting me, um, I actually am very thankful for this last week where I was taken offline for a little bit because it really gave me time to sit and reflect um, on a lot of things myself. And I'm going to be very open and candid with you as I, as I usually am. And I know some may criticize that and say, you know, pastor, we don't need to know everything. But I want you to understand that, that it wouldn't matter if it's me or you preaching this message, that we all have to look inward against the word of God and what we're saying to say, is this truly impacting me? Is this truly changing my life? And I've been talking to, to Jennifer about how easy it is for the, the electronic devices. I keep harping on this, but whatever it may be, just understand that it's easiest for me to reference that because that's the thing I'm seeing in my life now. I'm I'm older, and you know I don't have any temptation to go out and to the party scene. You know I, I've got a, a beautiful wife that uh, um, I don't need any anything else other than her, and I've got these kids. You know that are are wonderful and and bring a lot of joy to my life. And so if there's any selfishness in my life, if there's anything that's going to draw me unto my own and the enemy's going to use it to, to divide and conquer, it's going to be something that can just capture my attention and keep me from holding conversation with my family or anything. And uh, someone had posted a, where an artist had taken many still shots of, of people, couples and other people around, where they had their cell phones originally, but he's take, removed them from the picture. So you see these people, so you see a couple in bed, and both of them facing away from e- each other with their hands, like as if they've got rigor mortis you know, out there. <laughs> You've got others where there's groups of ladies standing there that could be in conversation, they're looking down. And I don't want to chase rabbits today, because I just wanted you to understand that this is beginning to really impact me, because everything that I'm studying and reading, and again, this is messages that I've, I've borrowed. Um, you know, I've told you from the front, uh, this message of Brian Jarrett, has preached uh, to his congregation, uh, but many other pastors have preached the same thing. And churches that are, are growing healthily are having to look at this, of how do we become a community and not just a crowd? How does the church become a church and not just a crowd? But today we're continuing on with a little different part of this uh, series called Better Together. Over the last three weeks, we launched a very con- challenging conversation about these relationships These relationships that shine to spotlight on our God-given need for each other. And today I want to continue that conversation as we continue that series better together. But 11 years ago, in 2004, in Saddleback Church, Lake Forest, California, they launched a campaign called 40 Days of Community. And it started a relationship revolution that the ripples of that, the effects of that that one initiative that, that that pastor started at Saddleback Church 11 years ago, is still being felt today that people can still tie back to the great things God is doing amongst them still ties back to that focus on that 40 days of community. And I want us to learn from them, and my prayer is that over the next few weeks, we have the same type of relationship revolution at New Song Church. Really not just at New Song Church, but I've had visions of us getting together with other churches, even if we have to start with just worship service, because doctrinally we have some of those little hairs we want to split. And so, you know, but even in a worship service, there's some going to say, well, as long as you guys aren't going to be raising your hand, jumping around and throwing snakes up in the air. I mean, whatever, you, <laughs> for anybody that's new, we do not handle snakes. I don't, um, you know, but I want us to learn from them because this conversation that we're having is going to be a radical countercultural conversation because it's the exact opposite of everything you've been taught most of your life growing up in America. You would think I have a little competitive edge. Now, this changes that dynamic. I'm going to say this very carefully because um, I love my family being here. I love my parents being here. So I'm very cautious to ever make them feel like that, they, uh, that they're uh, having any kind of negative impact. Um, I have a competitive edge on this a little bit because I, what I used to think as a negative, I hardly ever remember family gatherings where there wasn't someone there that wasn't a blood relative. We really had a sense of community in our home. We've had people staying there for, we had people who loaded their whole family up from the church in Nebraska that wasn't even in the church, but neighbors who knew my parents could minister to them when their marriage was falling apart and moved their kids and them and everything showed up at the doorstep in Arkansas and moved into the end of the parsonage with us for some time. I remember those folks weren't church because I woke up in the middle of the night smelling, smelling cigarette smoke and the parsonage was like, whoo, somebody is going to die. <laughs> You know, as a kid, you don't realize that your parents can't, you know, they don't whip everybody for the same <laughs> things they whip you for, you know, <laughs> or would. Um, but this is, for most people, this is the act o- exact opposite of everything you've been taught most of your life growing up in America. And, and I keep wanting to jump off my notes here for a minute and explain to you what's going on in my heart that I, I will explain more of this at the end, but I need this too. I am so convinced that what we're talking about right now, what we're getting that if you will really let this saturate, independent of how good of a preacher or a speaker I am, if you'll take the content and you'll really start to apply this and think through this, dwell on it through the week, if you'll let this soak in, it will revoli- revolutionize your, the way you do church and the way you see the scripture. Not just here. If God picks you up and moves you across the street to the Baptist church over there or down the street, wherever this is going to impact you greatly in your walk With the Lord and the body of Christ. You know, as Americans, we idolize independence. You know, this is a difficult one for me too because I am patriotic. During my sick time, I found that when my stomach was rumbling, I could watch videos or whatever and it would take my mind off it for a little bit. And I just started doing some research, found out a, a, a guy I went in the Navy with just, uh, re, uh, just was raised to the highest rank of enlisted that you can make after he's about got his 20 years in. It was kind of neat to see that someone I went through boot camp with has made this lifelong career, and he's been successful. Um, but in that, I started looking through uh, you know other patriotic things. And I'm patriotic, but let me tell you something. Our society and our state of, of being in this country is so sickened right now. It's so unhealthy. It's so dysfunctional that we can be proud of what our country stood for at one time, but we need to wake up and realize that while we're trying to defend, think we're defending freedoms, we're defending what the country stands for, we need to drop that ball for a minute and say, listen, we've got a spiritual war going on here, and we need to concentrate on the lost souls not over a constitution that was created by men who, yes, might have been believers and have stood for something good, but let me tell you something, it's not going to replace the Word of God. You know, we're fighting over the removing the Ten Commandments. I get that, and don't get me wrong here. I'm not, you know, I, I have the same thing. I want to post the same things or tell those people the same things. You, you're pulling God out of school. I believe that that's wrong, and they're, gonna, they're suffering consequences. But let me tell you something. It don't make any difference to put the Ten Commandments up in front of people who are, gonna just, who are blatantly disobeying and don't even believe in God anyway. You know, we even preach that, that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law but fulfill it, and that we have grace, and that's the old covenant. So why are, we, why are we fighting so hard on some of these fronts instead of building relationships with people that will truly let them see Christ in us and that will change their life so that they're the ones standing with us saying, we want the Ten Commandments. You see, we just, we've got our energies and our focus uh, a little bit different. And so now we're creating this war where I'm seeing this debate going on between unbelievers and believers. And now the unbelievers, and I'm calling them that because there's some who are going to say they're believers and they, <laughs> they aren't. But they're becoming ministers. They're starting churches. And why is that? Well, if nobody's going to show me the right way to do it, I'm going to get my own way, my own idea of how to do it, and I'll just start my own thing. But as Americans, we idolize independence. We have the Declaration of Independence, and we have our iPods, we have our iPhones, iTunes, and we're all about the I in independence. We are a nation proud enough to say we worked our way to the top, and when we get there, we sing sing that Frank Sinatra American classic, I did it my way, right? It's all about pride, and it's all about us, and I, and what I accomplished, and what my forefathers accomplished, but we have to be very careful because I've been doing a little study, and, and while I have been excited about what uh, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, we talked about him, what he's put out there. But let me tell you something. There's some few things I differ with on, on him that I'm beginning to discover that while we may, uh, you know, Israel is as God's chosen people, we have to be very careful because when Israel is directly disobeying God, you have to be careful when you align, align yourself sometimes with people who are in direct disobedience to God. That's a very touchy subject. I'm not going to go there today. I'm still in study and prayer about uh, quite a few things, but I just want us to, to think cautiously about the, the battles we pick when we don't even have relationships going in the right direction within the first mile around us. I mean, we loved the Lone Ranger. I loved the Lone Ranger as I was a kid, right? That was a superhero you could be, right? Because that's just a cowboy with a mask on, right? Riding around with a six-shooter doing some good. But even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. He didn't do it on his own. We have bought into a myth that says happiness is independence. If I have relational independence, if I have financial independence, independence in every area of my life, if I won't let anyone close to me and I'm totally self-sufficient, I'll be happy. But in a nation that is driven by that mantra, suicide continues to rise. There has to be some unfulfilling lie in the message of independence. And as we look at that lie in the message of independence, we step into the, the, one of the many radical messages of the Bible. God says in the scriptures that the key to happiness is not independence, but interdependence. Not independence, but interdependence. We need each other. We belong to each other. We need relational community in our lives. God wired us to go through life not as solitary individuals but in meaningful relationships with other people and community and God promises that if we'll do life His way then we'll never uh, fall into that same epidemic we're seeing in the human race right now called loneliness. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 since we are all one body in Christ we belong to each other and each of us need all the others. That's saying that we, we can't do it on our own. We weren't intended to, and we're not going to be able to do it on our own. We may fool ourselves and think that we are accomplishing great things on our own, but in the end, there's going to be something missing that will deconstruct anything we set up for ourselves. You look at the, f- the husband who, who has the career that he's just chasing the, the, the greater and greater positions. And he puts so much focus in that, and he's trying to do it on his own, and he's forgetting that his family, is the support group at home, is keeping his life together. And he does that until the point that the relationships are so severed that things come apart at home. When God creates he simultaneously created in us a need for him and a need for each other. And in the scripture, community is not optional. Now you may feel like it is. You may be one of those that say, you know, I'm a pretty self-sufficient person. You know, uh, I, I don't really need other people for most of the things in my life. And that may work okay for you for a while. It may even be a little more convenient for you on some occasions of your life. But you need to listen. You will never, ever be all that God has intended you to be without other people linking arms together with you on this journey. Never, ever will you be able to do it without linking together with other people. And today I want us to look at the why behind the why we need each other. This is the better together journey, and I want us to look at why God designed life better together. Why certain things are designed by God to be better together. And there are five. I'm not sure if we'll be able to dig into all of them as deeply as the first few uh, today, but I will give you all five by the end of the day. Um, But the first one, here's one of the main reasons God designed life to be better together. I need others to walk with me. Pretty simple statement. I need others to walk with me. That means that I need you to help me grow spiritually. And Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 says, Just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The Bible often calls our spiritual life a walk. It's referenced quite a few times. And you know, I've been one guilty that when we're around new believers or someone who doesn't believe we use a lot of what we call Christianese. This isn't necessarily a Christianese. This is a biblical uh, reference, but, but we have to understand that the reason it's called a walk is because it's a journey. That you don't start at the end. You start at the beginning and work towards the end. Because it's a journey, you don't sit still in life. You're not today where you're going to be tomorrow. You're on a journey, and this is called a walk. The New Testament tells us to walk in wisdom, walk in love, in light. We're told to walk in obedience and we're to walk in the Spirit. And the key here, we, we are meant to walk with each other. We are never meant to walk through life alone. And this has nothing to do with marital status at all. Nothing at all. You know, there's thousands of single adults in, in the churches around here that are involved in deep, meaningful intimate community in their church. And there's thousands of married couples who are desperately lonely. Marriage doesn't solve the loneliness problem. Community solves the loneliness problem. There are people who have lost community in their marriage and they're desperately lonely living with another individual, but not in a community. Jennifer and I, in our 11 years of marriage, have discovered this as well that just because we're married and we have the certificate and because we have children out in the home and we've got everything that looks like it's, it's fine, that if we're not intentional about uh, a, a deeper relationship, about community our home, it just becomes a crowd. Just like I was saying before, it's easy to be zoned out watching the TV and the kids doing their thing and Jen doing her thing. And, and if we're not careful, that little bit of time we have after a work day becomes just a crowd meeting in the same dwelling. Walking together is better because it's just safer. Have you ever been on a business trip or in a big city and walking in a dark alley? You feel better when you're not alone. I've given this illustration before, but uh, I remember when Jennifer and I uh, won a fitness contest, we were able to go on a seven-day cruise, but our plane that was supposed to take off from Fayetteville never got off the ground because it broke down, and they weren't real organized, and we ended up missing uh, and not getting there in time to meet our boat that was leaving from Miami, Florida. And uh, because the airline had messed up, they, they actually flew us to San Juan, Puerto Rico, the first destination, and we were there about a day or a day and a half until the boat arrived, and we got to walk around, and so we actually thought that was great, because come to find out, seven days is a long time on a ship, because we thought five, five days was a long time on a ship. But But we decided to take a walk, and so I'm walking with Jen, and we just start walking through to see the sights, and we ended up in different neighborhoods and walking, and some of them seemed kind of desolate. And and, uh, we got on this city bus to get our way back. We were were just kind of lost, and we thought we'll hop a bus here downtown and tell them where we're staying. And sitting across this guy that spoke English that was from there, and he asked what we were doing down there, and I said, oh, we just took a walk, and where'd you come from? Oh, here, and he goes, oh, Americans don't live that walk through there. (laughs) You know, had we known where we were walking, I'm sure that um, Jennifer would probably have found comfort that she was with me, um, although I don't know what I was going to do. But <laughs> but you get the picture is that we we feel uh, safer when we're in numbers. You know, I, I have been on, on some hunting trips. Uh, I grew up in, in Nebraska, my dad and I going uh, pheasant hunting, and when I was shorter than these guys. You know, they have snow drifts up higher than my head, and I had to walk behind my dad to find my way. And boy, if he ever turned too quick, and I'm standing there and thinking I can't see anybody, all of a sudden it's a little bit scary because I'm thinking there's people with guns out here, and there's animals, and I'm, I'm alone. So I always wanted to stay close to my dad. When you walk with other people, it's supportive. It keeps you from giving up. You have energy to keep going when you would have given up if you were alone. It's proven reality that those who discipline themselves to get in shape, to change their diet, to have a dramatic lifestyle change, are significantly more successful when they attempt that lifestyle change as a part of a group of people because we draw strength from relationship. There are, there's an old African proverb that says, When you run alone, you run fast, but when you run together, you run far. I'd almost change it say, when you run alone at night, you run very fast. <laughs> we started a first fire in our fireplace last night for the winter, and, and uh, we, didn't, we just did it off the cuff about eight in the evening, and so the kids grabbed some firewood and made a little stack, and, and of course, before bedtime, that little stack had gone, and I knew where there's some more out in the edge of the woods, but we've been having coyotes come right up next to the kids' windows. I mean, when, when there was rain and mud, you can see their tracks everywhere, and they, they'll come out and fight right near the house. They'll play around fight yelp and so you know I'm looking for the beady eyes because I'm picking (laughs) up that and I had flip-flops on and it's kind of rocky but I took the (laughs) chance on the I took the chance on the broken ankle to run quick with that log Um, so you know about this time of year those that live uh, in this part of the U.S. start noticing geese flying south for winter and I've I used this analogy earlier in, in some of the earlier messages uh, last few weeks, but the geese fly in the V formation. As we talked about, the reason they do that is because as they flap their wings, it creates uh, an uplift, and so as you go back, the ones behind that are expending less energy. And eventually, that lead one will fall to the back, and they'll, they'll keep that chain going so that they can go further together. They, they can fly thousands of miles in that formation, when they couldn't have gone near as far if they had tried to attempt it alone. Jennifer and I this morning happened to be, because of this message, we were um, driving and saw two geese by themselves. I thought, that's odd, where's the rest of the group? But the, they apparently must have fallen out uh, too tired. But this is the reality of life. You're going, to turn, you're going to burn out if you try to do it without any meaningful intimate relationships. And let me tell you, I've been there. When I worked at Walmart, I'm telling you, I got so tired and burnt out. And if I could have gone back and, and had this message in front of me and really absorbed it and known, then I would have spent some intentional time getting my family with other church families more often and starting to build a community because I would have found a lot of relief in just having those relationships. But I didn't equate it then. I don't have time for people because I'm so busy. That's the problem. I'm tired and worn out because I'm so busy. And sometimes we need to realize the, the antidote for the problem It's a cycle where we we need to stop being so busy. Boys. Walking together is safer. Walking together is supportive. But it's also smarter. It's smarter to go through life close in close deep relationships, in close deep friendships. You learn more walking with people than you do when you walk it alone. In Proverbs 28, 26, if you think you know it all, you are a fool for sure. Real survivors learn wisdom from others. In other words, if I'm in a group of people that I care about and love and trust, I'm the only one that has this opinion. I'm sorry, let me restate that. If I'm in a group of people that I care about and love and trust, and I'm the only one that has this opinion, it may be that I'm walking in the wrong direction. But if you're walking through life and you don't have anyone to be your sounding board in life, if you have no one to say, hey, you're getting off path here. We've missed it. We need to get back on path. We're in a dangerous place. The Bible tells us in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. One of the things that's very important when you walk with others is that you learn how to get along with other people. If you go through life isolated, you will never learn how to cooperate with other people. If you go through life without deep and meaningful relationships and everything is surface, you will never know how to compromise in a way that begins to build those meaningful relationships. Those relationships take compromise. Here's the thing. You're not going to always feel that comfortable around people initially because it takes time to build that relationship. Even in church where you start with a common denominator that we're in the same body of believers, you're still going to find that their lifestyle may be different. Some of us grew up in church, and we grew up in a church that had a lot more rules than others who may have visited church, or maybe their church didn't have all the rules. And so we're going to have to set aside some of those things that we automatically think, because I'm going to tell you something here. Even those loving saints here, your disapproval shows up way easier than you think. That's why so many people say, well, I went there, but they rejected me. You know what I'm finding? I kept asking, I couldn't imagine that there's so many churches where people walked in and they said, you can't come here. Or that they just, you know, right out in the church service, just outed them. Most cases is because some couple who, probably saints of God, but they just don't realize that their own ideologies, right or wrong, sometimes are pushing people away from Christ because they look at them. And we can pick on all the easy ones, you know. You know, the tattoos or whatever it is, or whatever it is, Okay. When it's the music, it's the hair, it's the, I don't know. But you just insert whatever it is that's kind of your pet peeve, and you don't realize that, do you know that there's studies that will tell that your, the turn of your mouth will communicate so much to other people because we're all used to trying to identify those things? The squint in your eye will tell somebody if you disapprove. You may think you're good at it, but do you know that people train hard in the military to be able to disguise that? Poker players work, work years and years to get very good at doing that. So for you to assume that you're just so good automatically, you were born with the ability to hide all your emotions and feelings, you're wrong. You're so wrong. And you probably don't realize the damage that has been done. I'm not here to condemn or make you feel bad. I want you to help, help you understand that this whole subject of community goes very deep. It's far-reaching because it has to challenge everything we have done to this point because if we don't have this sense of community now, it's not going to just happen just by a snap of the fingers. I believe learning to compromise in relationships is one of God's tools to fight selfishness, selfishness in our life. It doesn't mean you have to abandon your, your beliefs, your convictions. It means you have to be willing to give people a chance to come to get there themselves without, without you shoving them. Just think practically, if you go in a walk with someone, whether it's from the office or uh, to a restaurant or with your family, walking across the neighborhood, if you walk alone, you walk in a certain way. When I walk by myself, now I've been told there's a brummet walk. I do it now, I guess. The older I get, I get more into it. Um, my dad's laughing because he knows this has been a common thing. Um, when my dad worked at, uh, when he was pastor at Rogers First and the Parsons next door, I have this image in my head when I come home from college or when I was a kid, uh, I could see dad going back and forth. And I do the same thing, so I'm not picking him. But we tend to be deep in thought when we walk. You know? And because of that, because I, I take that time, uh, as much as th- I think that's what my dad was doing, my, uh, my brother, anybody else in our family, is, uh, you know, think deeply. And, and those times when you're walking, you do. Well, I can be with my wife and kids somewhere. And, of course, Lily's legs are a lot shorter than mine. And if I'm not careful, I'm walking. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, where's my family? And then I feel guilty because I've just left them behind. See, we all have a different stride. We all have a different pace. And that's the same way in life. We take things at different paces. We take things at different steps. We have to remember and that same concept happens in our relationships with those we'll encounter. Believers, new believers, unbelievers, whoever it is. Be very careful you're not trying to walk off and leave them. Or just push them off in the opposite direction. The Bible says in Genesis 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. Out of all the beauty and perfection God created in the Garden of Eden, all that there was for food and shelter and everything that the man needed, of all those things, it's loneliness that was not good for man. It's not good for man to be alone. And I believe God to this day still hates loneliness. So what's his antidote to the human epidemic of loneliness? He created two groups. One is your physical family and the other is your spiritual family. Because God in his wisdom, when sin, uh, when sin entered, he, he knows, hey, sometimes our, phys, our, our family, our close family is going to fail us. But we need our spiritual family to be there to pick up. The physical family, the one you grew up in, the spiritual family, the one you, you've been a part of to take the journey of, of the Christian walk, and this family will go on through eternity. But the physical one, the the family eventually moves apart and sadly on this earth begins to die. The older you get, your siblings, your parents, those that you love begin to die. And you find yourself looking at what kind of investment did I make in relationships beyond that because that family will begin to die. The spiritual God's church is going to last forever and ever, but the physical family, when, when functioning properly, it awe is the ability to deal with loneliness. But greater than the physical family is the body of Christ, my family, the church. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let's encourage each other. And notice the meaning of the early church gathering together was a habit. What, is it, what do they say it takes to form a habit? At least 30 days? 21 days or so? Well, seeing how we only meet twice a week, guess how many times you have to make it in a row to church to make it a habit. But we're not just talking about what we're doing here. He's saying, you've been created for community. And I want to make sure you're in the habit of doing that, of meeting together, because in doing that, it encourages one another. Who here doesn't need encouragement? This week, can you think of a time that you could just use some encouragement? This verse, it's not talking about what we're doing here right now. And this is where this has challenged my my mindset. When I got in this message, I'm like, hey, wait, Pastor Brian, I've been preaching before that that verse means that we're supposed to be at the church every time, that's what this means. Well, it's not negating that, but that's not where community happens. We can't do it in this kind of setting. Now, at one time, the smaller churches and country churches, it was a little bit different. But, at, at the point churches are growing now because of mobility, it's not always the setting where community can happen. This is not community like it's supposed to be. This has the greater tendency to just become a crowd. It's very easy to come in, get your donut, get your coffee, uh, say hi uh, or say how are you, which just means I see you, and then come sit down, have service, go out and get back with your family, and then it's not till Wednesday night again until we see each other for a few minutes. You know, we can come in here and hide. We can become anonymous. It's hard for us in this environment to encourage each other like we should. It's hard for us to carry on a meaningful conversation as we should. And it can only be done in a smaller group of people. You can be in a crowd and be tremendously lonely. I've had a conversation with someone recently that, you know, I let them in on the fact that uh, as pastor sometimes I get really lonely. I wasn't before I was pastor. It was a really um, ironic deal for me. And this isn't, oh, woe is me. Let me just explain something to you because this principle is far-reaching. It doesn't, it doesn't stop at a certain level in the church. Now, as unspiritual as this is going to sound, you know, I'm still guy's guy. I still have likes and things I like to do. And, you know, I find that 99.9% of my time now, I'm talking about spiritual things with folks. Well, because I'm a spiritual being, and that's great. But you got to understand, if you... If, if you don't ever have any time where you're just kind of let down a little bit, because most time it's heavy topics. And I've told somebody, man, I just sometimes wish somebody would just say, hey, let's go over to this car show and just walk around and look at things, you know? Hey, let's just go over and do, you know? And same thing with you. I'm sure I'm saying this, and some of you are saying, you know, I'd like that too. I'd like someone to say, hey, let's just, you know, when we get to church, it's like, okay, what outreach are we doing? What's this? And that's important stuff. But to become a community, we have to become part of each other's lives. And that means it's also the stuff that is always not, that's not always so spiritual. You know? Talking about, you know, what kind of food you feed your kids and how, you know, what kind of recipes and all that. that doesn't always come across real spiritual, ladies. But, but it's still building community, it's still getting together and sharing life together. I remember my first days in Arkansas. It was just halfway through sixth grade when we moved here. And I had a little friend in Nebraska named Derek, and Derek lived a couple houses down from me. And while Derek's parents weren't believers when we moved there, um, I played every day with Derek. In the summertime, it was out building forts, you know, out of sticks and stuff. In the wintertime, it was going to the snow piles and digging tunnels and building forts there. And I I had a close friend. And we moved to Arkansas, I got very lonely. And I ran away from home because of it. Didn't know that, did you? I know mom and dad remember it very well. <laughs> because I got the bright idea. I had one friend because he had no other friends in school. So we, we were an alliance. His name was Matt Flower. And Matt was a heavier set kid and, and, and people picked on him because of that. And so I, w- I was so discouraged I didn't have any close friends that, um, in fact, I was getting picked on in school. And in the first few months, I think there's fights and stuff, kids trying to pick on me. And so... Long story short is is that I got the idea I'm running away from home. My parents decided to move here. I didn't like this place, I'm gonna go somewhere else, so I told Matt, uh, I'm gonna come to your house for afternoon, we're gonna go see a movie at theater, and then I'm off to who knows where. <laughs> now I don't know, I might have made this up, but I think my parents told me I was o- the only one of the four kids that they worried about if I ran away from home they need to look for me. They said Jim Jim would be back by supper time. <laughs> is he in here? <laughs> Julie would be scared, and Jim's my oldest brother. Uh, Cindy was too much like mom. She was the the kind of protector and everything. She wasn't going anywhere. She never got in trouble that I remember. So, um, (laughs) but I was the one that, you know, if they dropped me off at kids camp, uh, when they came back to get me, I didn't want to go. You know, everybody else was crying to go home, and so so I I remember going uh, down at the Dixieland Mall. They had a movie theater, and it was a afternoon show and there wasn't anybody else in there. And so me and my friend Matt, and this kind of gross thing out now, now I have kids, I worry about germs, but we decided we're going to lay down on the floor in the theater because nobody's in there and watch like we're watching TV at home, you know, <laughs> big screen. And all of a sudden it was real dark in there and I remember the door opening up and I looked back and I saw, and, and it's funny, I didn't plan this, but this ties into the, the illustration I gave earlier. Saw a door open and Matt says, oh no, it's one of the people working work theater. And I saw this walk, this shadow. <laughs> and I said, oh no. I said, that's my dad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a lot of respect for how my dad handled that because he found out, I got a whipping for running off. <laughs> but he also asked what the deal was. And I remember my dad restored Volkswagen Bug convertibles and he said, you invite your friend and we're going to go to Eureka Springs for a day in the com- and Volkswagen Bug convertible. And we had a little vacation day. And, uh, Those those are things that teach your kids that you need to be intentional and you may need to make time to build those relationships if you're not going to be lonely. Community is God's answer to loneliness. God wants you, you somewhere where you are recognized. He wants you somewhere where you're genuinely known, lovingly supported, and honestly challenged. The Bible says if I'm going to be everything God wants me to be, I'm going to have to walk with other people to grow. And the Bible is clear about this. Why? Because life is about relationships, not achievement. He wants me to learn to love Him and learn to love others. And that's two of the greatest commands in the Scripture. Growing to love Him well and growing to love people well. 1 Corinthians 14, we usually read this in a context when we're teaching on the public operation of the gifts, but it, it says that, uh, when you are together, let some come with a song or a hymn. Let some come with a prophecy, a tongue, a word of encouragement. So it lists out these things that add value. 1 Corinthians 14 in the message says, When you gather, be prepared with something useful for all. Sing a hymn. Teach a lesson. Read a story. Sing a prayer. Provide an insight. Take your turn with, with no one person taking over. That way you can learn from each other. Now what's interesting is what churches have learned is in this kind of setting that doesn't work well because you don't have 8 hours for everybody to come up with their own song and hymn and everything. Now in the smaller church before mobility happened, people had the patience and the time because they lived so close. It's like it doesn't matter if we go several hours, 3 hours here, and I got a chance to do my song. But that's not exactly how it's happening, but it needs to happen. You know, um Do we all take a turn at the microphone until we have shared uh, what's on our heart? No, but now there is a place for that. And it's when the church becomes a community, begins to gather in smaller gatherings, then there's time for us to be able to share those things together. And according to the New Testament church, there's supposed to be a time and place for that. I remember in Nebraska, too. Hopefully, I'm not getting uh, stories mixed up here, but I remember when we came to that church. uh, my dad told her there's a lady who liked to take the microphone from the pastor and, and uh, take her own little time. And <laughs> now I, I, I'm probably going to get in trouble. Please don't quit coming, Dad, because um, <laughs> he's been half my illustrations today. But, but, you know, what's funny is when you have a pastor that grew up as a pretty hardcore farm boy, you know, and so there's a m- mental toughness there that some pastors may not come automatically equipped with that has to grow. And, and uh, she didn't get away with that too long. Uh, I think there is something in the effect of uh, if you take the microphone from me again, I'll set you down personally or something. Um, and you have to grow as a pastor, you know. Someone like me has to get to that point where you, you can say that and get away with it. But, but we need to do these things. And it happens through meeting through the week at the house, the home or in small groups or in other ways. You know, when they talked about in the New Testament, uh, you have the church going on the Sabbath to the temple courts and then meeting throughout the week from house to house and i believe that's the model for life temple courts house to house if you're only coming to the temple courts you're only getting half the discipleship opportunity that your church has to offer and i believe you're you're only growing at half the level that is possible for you to grow in as a New Testament believer. And here's where the rubber meets road. You may be fairly new here, and you're saying, okay, well, I'm waiting for someone to invite me, or I'm waiting for this. Let me tell you something. If the Holy Spirit is ringing this true in your heart, then the responsibility is now yours. Because that person who's been sitting in the pew for years and years and years may have grown stale, and you're never going to get them to do that. Someone else is going to have to be the small kindling that gets put under the old bumpy log that has to get them ignited. Amen? Why not be part of it? Why not be the revolutionary? You came into this place looking for a place to connect and grow and all that, then get busy about what you were intended to do. Go to work. Like I say in Tombstone, jerk that smoke wagon and go to work, right? Be there, huckleberry. Come on, get to it. <laughs> Some of you that haven't seen Tombstone, that's a good movie. Um <laughs> But that's why God wants in your life this community. Why? Because Ephesians 4 says this, as each part does its work, it helps other parts grow. So Christ's body is healthy, growing, and full of love. That's why God wants it in your life. That's why he wants all of us to be healthy, growing, and full of love. The only way you can do this is to walk this life with other people who are trying to attempt the same things, to grow in Christ and grow in love. You can't learn without being in community, not in a crowd. You, you learn better in being in community. I, I think about times I saw uh, Jim Blankenship, who's been doing our, our studies on, on men's Bible study. He, he rarely posts anything I see anyway from his class, but he showed that his students had all showed up early and had basically recapped the, the semester on the board and it impressed him. And, and I, I put on there, that's an indication of students who not only love their professor, but highly value their course. Because I remember that in Bible school, you know, I could walk into class that I didn't, wasn't really engaged, I didn't find valuable, and um, I remember coming in there and I could sit a whole semester. I could sit a whole semester and just attend. But then I'd find that one that really sparked an interest, and all of a sudden I'd start talking with others, and we'd meet to study afterwards because we wanted to do well. We wanted to make the professor proud, and we came together as a community for the common purpose of learning. The Bible says, 1 Peter 4, 9, Open your homes to each other without complaining. So what's your complaint? My house is dirty? Well, clean it up. That's an easy fix. (laughs) My home isn't big enough. Well, if three or four of you can gather around a coffee table, or if it's a a DVD, a a Bible study or something, uh, around a TV, you know, Scripture says that God, the God who created the universe, will come and make his presence known when two or three of us are gathered together in the same environment. I would do it, but I don't like my neighbors. Well, don't invite your neighbors then. (laughs) I mean, start and invite the ones you like and get them in that that environment. And soon, you're going to grow, and God's going to put love in your heart to invite neighbors you don't like. But start with the ones you like. Anything. I'm desperate here because I'm telling you, when I, I heard these messages, I'm like... Wow, it just grabbed me, it challenged me personally, and I, just like a movie screen, I began to see what God was telling me for New Song is that we've got to move in the same direction. He's not, he, this isn't something designed just for one church, this is for His church, the body of Christ. It's why solitary confinement, as I've mentioned before, is the worst punishment to man, because God made us to need relationships. He wired us that way. And that's why people join all kinds of crazy causes just because they want to belong to something. Our best defense against ISIS is to get this and get it good. Pastor, how am I going to ever meet ISIS? It's one person at a time. You know what? One time, well, actually for a long time, the, the, the Muslim population, their idea to be able to wipe out Christianity is just have more children than them eventually we will outpopulate them. That's why young men and women are, are at risk socially and wind up jumping into gangs. It's not because they be, believe in the ideology of a gang. It's because they found someone that will treat them like family when the, when the one they, they have at home is dysfunctional or whatever they've tried in life has, has failed them. Then they look for another group that will accept them and they can join whatever it is that they're joining Most of them don't know all that's going on when they join. They just join to be a part of that community. Because they had the God-given need met with the wrong crowd. Their entire life went in the wrong direction. That's why so many people jump into those extreme terrorist ideologies. Because there's a need to belong in their heart. They bought into the lie just because they had need to belong to something. It's a God-given need to belong, and here we are at, as the church of Lord Jesus Christ. We have the greatest message, the greatest story of grace, the greatest story of hope, the greatest story of eternity, the greatest story in the world, and somehow we have to let people know that it is the most compassionate, grace-filled way in the world to belong to anything. And yet with the greatest message in the world, the church has the hardest time making people feel like they belong. I believe if Christians would stop being jerks, putting fishes in their windows, and then flipping people the bird in traffic when they cut them off, we would do, we would end up having to to end up putting a bar on the door of the church to keep people from rushing in too quick and getting hurt. If we stopped, if we stopped being jerks and just started being the community and not just a crowd. We have the greatest message of hope. A message that says you can have a relationship with God. The God of eternity. We're going to have to finish this next week. but I just, I'll quickly just give you the little preview that um, the, next top, the next part of this that we'll cover is we need people to work with us. Um, we also, besides needing people to work with us, we need people to watch out uh, for us through life. And then the fourth and fifth one that we will cover is I need others to wait with me and weep with me I need others to witness with me. We need each other. Ken, if you'll come to the keyboard. There's going to be a common challenge besides the altars always being open. Anytime during service worship time, I I want you to tell you, um, I, I want to make sure that everybody understands they're never closed. When I say they're open, that doesn't mean there's a time they're closed. But while there's always a desire that I want to see us in the altars and and spending time with God, or turn around our seats, and just kneeling and spending time with Him, without action on this, this is not going to take root. So a very simple step. Right now, we aren't formed up ready to do a small group setting on a regular basis in homes. Doesn't mean you can't start one. If you want to, say, Pastor, if you'll get me some material, I'll, I'll be glad to start one in my home. Awesome. Be a little bit of training time, we can do that. But you can start with just simply, before you leave the building each time, set a time and a place with someone in the church that we will get together. We will fellowship. Some of you men, you may have a, a Saturday free or something like that, and you just want to get together with men. I know uh, Brother Dave is out working on his place. He's redoing a home out there, and uh, hopefully Dave's okay with me <laughs> throwing it out there. But you can get with him and go out and... and Work a little together and, and fellowship and there's so many things that you could just jump in and you could begin to build that community together. So don't leave. Make it a habit. If you'll do it for the next twenty-one services. <laughs> you'll have had twenty-one encounters with people and that community will begin to grow. You understand? It's that simple. Every service, commitment, one time. We're just gonna meet. Hey, Some of us maybe don't have the, you know, our timing is a little different. And you have to tell someone, hey, I've got got 30 minutes today, and that other person needs to be honor that and say, look, I'll be glad to just get together, even if it's 30 minutes. Start somewhere. The neighbors you don't like, wait till God works on you. Your house is dirty, do it at a coffee shop, do it somewhere. All right. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time of learning and, and fellowship and worship. God, I just pray right now that you take this word from, uh, from your heart, Lord, and, and bury it into ours. Lord, like that kindling, let it, let it be placed in there and begin to uh, burn, Lord, that we might ignite others, Lord, to a sense of community. Right now, I just want you to just take a minute of prayer. If you want to come to the altar, that's fine. We, if we dismiss, you'll be able to stay uh, as long as you want. But just take a moment and have a conversation with the Lord let let him speak to your heart. I pray that we'll all take this time and just uh, for the rest of the day we'll reflect but again take that opportunity uh, before you leave to at least have a conversation with someone unless maybe you can't set a date today I I'm really I'm wanting us to start with anything we can just be intentional and just be honest with yourself don't don't set yourself up to to fail on that. But I uh, love y'all. Have a wonderful Sunday. Look forward to seeing you Wednesday at 630 for another great time together.